Hey, this is Brady Becker. And I'm Martin Walker. And this is True Enough. A podcast about True Detective Season 2. So, huge news. MTV is doing a casting call for the real world here in Minneapolis, Minnesota at one of our finest establishments on campus here, <laughs> Burrito Loco. Now... I think we should both do it, Martin. Is that out of hand? It's only our second favorite show behind True Detective. Yeah, man. And this is what they're looking for. They need large Wait, hold up. personalities. Yeah, go ahead. Did you just say it's only our second favorite show behind True behind Detective? True Detective, yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely accurate. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Don't want to spread any uh, lies here. They need larger than life personalities. Yup! <laughs> Somebody can make yep. laugh and cry. Absolutely. Need people who are at a turning point in their lives and have big decisions looming. I find myself dealing with uncertainty every day. You know, I knew it was only a matter of time before we could do this podcast thing, man. I mean, people finally discovered our talent. Our faces are ready for TV. Thinking about dropping out? (laughs) Our faces are ready for TV. It's true. I mean... We can only we've given the product of the voice. Let's give them the face along with. Can I be honest with you for a second, yeah, though? Go ahead. You kind of want to tag team this, right? Yeah, we audition together. I think it should just be me. You're right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Of the two of us, I'm much louder. Personality jumps off the page. right. I'm made for that setting. That's all there is to it. Well, look out, MTV uh, Real World Season 31. We'll be on it. Right? So, <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude! I can't yeah. believe they made 31 seasons of the fucking Real World. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I hear that, man. All right, let's get into it. Initial reaction of uh, episode three here. Well, how, how we feeling, Martin? All right, here's what I think. I think that overall the show is moving a little bit slowly, and you did get a taste of action at the end. Uh, there was the stuff with Bezerides and um, Valcoro, and then also you had Semyon beating the shit out of that one dude with Ooh. the teeth. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> Catch a body like that. All right. <laughs> but uh, overall, I'm still pretty pleased with how it's going. Uh, this was definitely not my favorite episode, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. Yeah, and I still like the episode too, but right. it just it, it felt a little scattered to me. They're all starting to feel a bit scattered because kind of jump around at the storylines between character to character. Mm. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I thought some scenes were really dry. I thought, especially some of Semyon's this week, I thought some yeah. of the scene just really fell flat. Uh, for example, the one... Or he's talking to the construction worker. Just, <laughs> I don't know. It just was kind of a boring. It wasn't scene. for you. Yeah, just a lot of slow spats of dialogue. And then, yeah. how are we supposed to be like so? We we're supposed to be hurt by the death of Stan, Frank's <laughs> henchman. Wait, who, dude, you weren't hurt by the death of Stan? Yeah, I guess. Uh, my bad. I, that hit me right in the heart. <laughs> really tugged at your heartstrings. Oh huh? my god, tough, right? And I feel like we really got to know that character well before they killed him off on us. Saw Stan floating face up in that water. <laughs> Stan, my boy. My face immediately went to my hands. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's fucking hilarious. But yeah, at, le- at least, at least, yeah, like you said, Simeon had that sweet mm. fight scene at the end where uh, he said, "Keep your rings on." Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, that was that was pretty sick. And one other bright spot. We'll get into it later. But uh, friends, Paul Wodro only kind of sucks now. <laughs> yeah, that's a fucking dub. <laughs> Big turnaround. We prefaced it last week, and we're finally starting to see some solid yeah. development on his part. And a couple of great moments of comedy got in this one. We oh, had yeah. Kind of the joke about Lakora pissing his pants. <laughs> <laughs> Smells like piss. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was good. <laughs> more, more dirt on the e-cig. Um, but what did you think of the opening scene? Um, I, well, I think everybody thought it was weird, but... Yeah, super strange. I enjoyed it. I didn't, com- like, I didn't completely understand it at first. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I'm not sure that I understand it now, but 
I got to give Fizzolato credit because it was creative. Like he, he was definitely doing something different with the yeah, opening scene. Yeah, and like I interpreted it as some sort of purgatory. Definitely a purgatory, okay. and it's, it seemed like it. You know, True Detective's purgatory would would be in a dive bar. Where else would it be? Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. actually that's hilarious. <laughs> no, but I thought it was a cool scene. I, I really like the, the the song again. I thought it really matched the scene well. T Bone Burnett is the guy that does the music, and when you have a guy by the name of T Bone Burnett, you know the music's gonna be on point. Jesus, are you kidding me? The commitment to this podcast looks up who fucking T Bone Burnett is? I didn't know that. I didn't take the time. You know. But yeah, also, I, I enjoyed the, the chasing at the end of the episode. It was, it was a mm. cool kind of action sequence to kind of end it, but it was just, I thought it was a bit heavy handed. It was kind of, the, sh- the camera was kind of shaky, and I couldn't yeah, really tell. Like it was that. dark, too. I'm you a know. fan of like the Born Ultimatum, so I like that. Yeah. I like yeah. that style. Born, but Born Ultimatum, like for, yeah, practically created. Now we get we'll get into that scene later. Though. I got some thoughts Good. on that. All right, should we move into characters? Let's do it. All right, uh, start it off. We're gonna talk about our boy Ray Belcoro. What's with the water? <sighs> Booze tends to take the edge off. I want to stay angry. Brady, what you got? So yeah, this this episode served as a pretty big turning point for Ray's character. I mean, we start with that purgatory scene, and um, after that, we think it, it kind of seems like Ray experiences some sort of a rebirth. Um, we see that he stops drinking because uh, mm-hmm. he doesn't want to take the edge off, which is a sweet line. Um, he actually <laughs> commits himself to the case and makes him does some actual detective work. Um, he saves Bezzeridi's ass in the in the process, um, and then you see him also turn <laughs> down a bribe from his ex-wife and. Uh, you know, Ray said it himself, a good beating provokes personal growth. That was in episode two. And maybe that buckshot did just that. I think after the purgatory interaction with his dad, he kind of wants to be a better father to his son, you know? Yeah, uh, it's true. That's what I gotta say. I really agree with that line, a good beating <laughs> provokes personal growth. Sometimes when I feel like I'm being a little immature, I just have Brady slap the shit out of me. Look at that. <laughs> Cleared right up. Anywho, um, yeah, so what I found crazy about Ray this episode... Is I, I kind of like him. I like him more than everybody else, which is nuts because he's he's the worst. But here's the thing about Ray Valcaro. He is. He's so genuine. Yeah. Like he does terrible, terrible things. But you never get a lie from Ray Valcaro. And people will say, right? Uh, he's an informant for the mob. Okay, fair point. He is an informant for the mob. That's not genuine. But here's what I have as a response to that. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> You're it. Right. Alright, here's what I like about Ray Velcoro. He's a straight shooter. So let's look at some evidence. Um, and keep in mind, I realize that he's an informant from the mob, but I don't think that defines him as a person. So like, let's look at how he interacts with other people. Uh, when he's talking to the mayor... Break it down. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> when he's talking to the mayor, um, and they're talking about solving the case, and he asks the question. I think we used that as a quote last yep. time. Yeah, we definitely did. Yep. Um, and he says, am I supposed to solve this one? That's pretty damn candid, Ray. Yep. That's a good point. One could say Ray is true enough. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But like the other thing, <laughs> the other thing why I don't think uh, Ray is a disingenuous person is let's review. Is he really trying to hide the fact that he's an informant for the mob? No, not in the slightest. Yeah, not in the slightest. Is. You got that conversation with the mayor. We addressed it earlier. Mm-hmm. The cars are on the table there. Yeah. <laughs> Practically admits it to Bezzarides in the second episode. Then does admit it to Bezzarides in the third episode when he asks her what the state has on it. So I think that the reason I like Ray Velcoro, despite his uh, brutal ways, mm-hmm. is because he never tells a lie, and that's not really something that is a part of any other character in the show. Yeah, I think I think the greatest testament to that point there is when, uh, I think it's episode two where him and Bezzeri in the car, and he just addresses every single piece of dirt there is on him out there, where he's like, there's this rumor about you know me ousting my wife's attacker, there's this or that, 
that's the book on me. I'm an open book. There it is. Yeah. And I think, you know, Colin Farrell really does oh, a great a job of putting Riddle Core. I mean, just kind of, the guy just, you know, he's a terrible man, like you said, but he just makes his character so likable. Those eyes. Yeah. Come on. How does he do that? Oh, uh, quick prediction going forward with Ray, though. I think he's going to get popped. Yeah. I, I think, think your boy's going to get killed. foreshadowing with the purgatory yeah, scene. Is that what you're referencing? Yeah, his father telling him that he... His father predicting his death. That's and some sort of vision of yeah, him coming out of the woods and getting shot to pieces or something like that. And also, that's like the ultimate Pizzolatto move to kill him off, yeah. kind of, in, season, <laughs> in episode two, and then actually kill him later in the season. So, yeah, that's my prediction for Ray. We'll see how it plans out. Anywho. All right, let's get into Frank Semyon. Um, yeah, a little bit of an up-and-down episode for him. This is important, Frank. Oh, shit. You don't think I know that? There is no part of my life not overwrought with live-or-die importance. I take a shit there's a gun to my head saying, make it a good one. Don't fuck up. Yes, I agree. I think that Frankie's real self is coming out, and so this is actually pretty interesting progression. I think I agree with you that he didn't have the greatest episode in terms of acting, mm -hmm. but I like how Pizzolatto's developing his character, so he's introduced to us as a really like suave ultra smooth criminal maybe not ultra smooth that might be an exaggeration but he's suave at the very least mm -hmm. and now you see frank semyon as this person who is he's losing it basically yeah, kind of apart he's, yeah he's absolutely coming apart and um i think that this whole facade of him being suave is completely dropping and underneath it you see this like insecure man child who basically throws a temper tantrum every time <laughs> someone doesn't go his way and so you see it with all these interactions like He's a dick to his wife at the beginning, and it's obviously something really important to her. And it's important to him, too, which is ridiculous. Like, they both want to have kids, so I don't yeah, care. Yeah, he's that. just got a lot on his mind. You know, he can't seem to focus with everything. Right, and then he rips that guy's teeth out. So, yeah, he beat him up, but, like, ripping his teeth out, maybe a little too yeah, far. but why not? If he doesn't, he will. <laughs> yeah, okay, good point. Yeah, yeah, good point. <laughs> but, um, and then just the way that he's treating his henchmen, too, he's, like, absolutely terrible to his number two guy, who has been nothing but faithful to him. Yeah. So just shit like that. Who um, would have anything against Stan is my question. Yeah. Who would have anything against Stan? <laughs> you know, we wouldn't know because we know nothing about Stan. <laughs> yeah, we literally know nothing about Stan. Why couldn't they have had like one of the henchmen who we've met before that episode killed off? It would have been a little more yeah, relevant to us. Yeah, or could we just have like, a, a quick flashback or some sort of beacon to Stan's life so we would have got attached to him? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Just quickly <laughs> develop Stan. What is this? Stan's oh. Dead. oh, Stan. Son of a bitch. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> yeah, but um, most interesting thing about Frank Semyon is his insecurity. That's so crazy to me because, like, he is, you know, he's got all this going for him. Like, he's obviously a pretty capable individual, but he's still, like, he just doesn't have any confidence in himself. And mm -hmm. I think that's where a lot of his problems Yeah, he's starting to overcompensate for it. <laughs> He's so money, you don't even know it. <laughs> you guys don't know how badly you want to say that line. Oh, yeah. Oh. Well Swingers. Done, Swingers. Swingers, sorry. What, what I found most interesting about um, Ray's character, or excuse me, Frank's character this week, is that you really see uh, uh, Frank and Ray's character start to go in opposite directions. So from episode one, you see Semyon as kind of the stable figure, and you see Valcor as kind of the loose canyon, and now it's kind of, like I said, moving in opposite directions, Valcor is starting to turn things around, Ooh. and, you know, Semyon's really falling off the wagon, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that changes the dynamic of the relationship. Um, Valcor kind of turns the tables on Semyon by kind of su summoning that meeting together at the dive bar, and then he just walks out on him, and that kind of lays down the law, and kind of kind of tells Semyon that, hey, you're, you're no longer running point on this thing. That was incredibly well said. Yeah, it's just going to... Things between those two are going to change so quickly here, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Brady Becker, everybody. I don't even have a response to that. 
Killed it. Absolutely nailed that one. <laughs> Am I wrong, though? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> all right. Oh! <laughs> Got any, that's that's it for me on Frank. What do you? Yeah, you that's all. That's all. all right, yeah, cool. That's all I got for Frank now. So moving on, we have Annie Bezaridis. Brady, what do you think? You fucking started this. Don't push this somewhere ugly. Just be a little mature about it. Have some dignity. Dignity. You're a real suck and leave him type, huh? You talk to me like that again, you're gonna need a little baggie to carry your teeth home. Um, yeah, I don't, even to be honest, I don't have a whole lot on Bezaridis this week. Um, it was a kind of a slow episode for her. She's not really getting a lot of action lately. Mm. Um, and it, it's a lot. It's time to give this girl something more to work with. Other than that scene where, again, we, we see her extreme feminine side where she kind of tells that, um, uh, former, uh, slam piece off the office. <laughs> there just, just wasn't a whole lot of, for her to work with. Not a lot of development on her part. Yeah, it's true. Actually, this ties really nicely into my point. So... We've talked about it before, and I think both of us really like Annie's character Definitely. because she is really likable. Mm-hmm. But I had a conversation with one of my friends um, who's helped us out with this podcast quite a bit, and she is a girl, obviously. So she brought up some interesting complaints to me about Annie, and I've come to the conclusion, or actually, I haven't, like, we've come to the conclusion that. Pizzolatto's not that good at writing women. Because if you look at all of his characters, his male characters, they have these really intricate subtleties so if you take a look at uh velcoro for example um we talked about it earlier he's a terrible person but he's really like likable and there's like a dichotomy there you look at um frank semyon he has this suave exterior but underneath it he's really insecure that's pretty interesting and then paul woodrow i mean on the outside he epitomizes masculinity but he's gay like all of that is really interesting interplay but then mm-hmm. look at annie bezaridis you know, she's like uh, kind of a stereotype in the sense that she's like the classic cool girl. You know, she's like a total badass. She could beat the shit out of me. She smokes an e-cig. Mm-hmm. And then her underlying subtlety is supposed to be this weird sexual adventureness. But right now, it's just this odd contradiction because yeah. she's um, in her personal sex life. She's obviously very adventurous. But then she has this thing against like uh, her sister being a cam girl. Mm-hmm. And so he needs to develop her subtlety more in order for her to progress as a character. And he hasn't done that so far. So episode four, I think he needs to address um, any sexual confusion or she's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, we, just, we need more out of her. We need more development. I think when episode one, we both thought Woodrow would be kind of the, the boner of a character. But right now, Desiridis <laughs> is kind of dragging on us. And she's got so much more potential than that. And I hope yeah. uh, Pizzolatta gives uh, Rachel McAdams more to work with here in the, the upcoming episodes. I think you will, though. I think, like, Annie will... This just wasn't a good episode for her, but I think she'll come around. Like, she has way too much potential to suck. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think you're right. Last but not least, we're going to tackle uh, Paul Woodrow. Big episode for this man. <laughs> Would you ever go back to him? I don't think so. I didn't think I'd stay on as long as I did, and, and it was hard to see coming home, you know? That's not what I mean. You know what I'm talking about. In three days, I think about you, Stop man. it. So let me, I, I want to start off with a quote. Go ahead. <laughs> Is that a fucking e-cigarette? <laughs> <laughs> he that was, that yeah, that he was a great that, line. We laughed pretty hard at that. That was hilarious. Yeah, but um, <laughs> damn right, Paul. <laughs> so that's probably the biggest news of this week. Paul Woodrow's showing some promise, finally. Whoa. So it appears that we were correct. Um, well, we weren't correct. Somebody on the internet was correct about yeah. him being gay. Yeah, we were right so, that's uh that's big news for us because he's no longer 
entire boring, entirely boring. He has that subtlety. Mm-hmm. He's not just like a mm-hmm. PTSD soldier. And so I'm like pretty excited to see going forward what is really going on in Paul Boudreaux's psyche. So like, I don't know if he is really suffering from trauma from the war or if he's just trying to come to terms with the fact that he's gay. Yeah. And basically what I want to see happen is the interplay of all of those emotional problems and just to see which one wins out in the end, which one becomes the biggest issue for him and how he deals with it all. Yeah, there's a lot There's a lot to work with there. And uh, yeah, like you said, there was a lot of life given to his character this week. I thought, you know, the scene where he goes to the, the, the track with his uh, ex-lover from the Black Mountain days was one of the best scenes. And mm. I, I love how Woodrow ask him, asks him, you talking about combat? You mean combat? <laughs> yeah, dude, he's talking about combat. Look at the way he's looking at you yeah. with those eyes. Jesus, Jeez, he's like staring right at you. How much um, denial is Paul Woodrow in, though, that yeah, he would even... That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, big time. Big time. Um, but another another interesting storyline that emerged from that whole scene with uh, Woodrow and his ex-lover is you see um, you see that uh, that uh, rather rounder detective, uh, Cora's partner, taking pictures of Woodrow as he, as he leaves the track. Is that who that was? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. who that is. So that's, that's very interesting. And who knows if he's going to expose Woodrow. I think he could probably pick up on the subtleties of what was going on there. Yeah. And, he, you know, he kind of made a remark to... Woodrow's comment in that second episode. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Woodrow finally gets exposed as a homosexual. Yeah, also, um, there's a little foreshadowing in this episode. You got Paul running into Frank in that club, and they stare at each other for like five seconds. <laughs> I think so. There's probably going to be some sort of character interaction there later on, obviously, because they're main characters, but like, I think yeah. we're going to see them become intertwined pretty soon. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Good point. Anywho, okay, so moving on, this episode we want to do something a little bit different and actually do a segment on the killer because we thought this was an extremely telling episode for the killer and we have some thoughts we'd like to give you yeah definitely um any guesses on who the killer might be over there walker got any emphasis at all um well i don't have a specific guess right now but yeah i have some thoughts on the killer okay, do you want to get a little speculation here yeah okay i think it's um there's, there's some chatter out there on the internet uh out on that subreddit, I don't know if anybody checks out the, the Reddit thread on True Detective. People get kind of wild on it, like overanalyze things to the max. Yeah, I mean, I try to try, uh, check up on Reddit. Yeah, a couple I think, times I think a day. You're, you're a big fan. Yeah, of big fan of Reddit. Okay, yeah, sure. We'll move on. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's some speculation out there that it might be that set photographer that we met when they go to uh, the scene of the movie where Desiree's yeah and Valcoro, um check out that. And by the way. When they um, that interaction with the director was actually supposed to maybe be subtle jabs at Kerry uh, Fukunaga. Pizzolatto's rumored to have some beef with Fukunaga from season one, and that mm-hmm. director was supposed to be kind of a depiction of Fukunaga as kind of a pompous asshole who just drinks a ton and screws up the set. Yeah, even though Nick Pizzolatto is obviously a pompous asshole. Yeah, I'm doing mean, that. Well, these guys. <laughs> what a hypocritical <laughs> dick. Jesus. I mean, look at look, Google a picture of Nick Pizzolatto or Kerry Fukunaga, and you're going to be like, yeah, these guys are definitely both way too into themselves. <laughs> That's, it's just what you get just from like okay. but um but yeah you see Valcor has an interaction with that set photographer and it seems pretty significant because um um you know Valcor asks him about the film and the set photographer calls it some collapse of civilization which could be you know symbolic of season two itself and the current occurrences in Vinci it could be kind of a microcosm of what's going on in Vinci mm. and um it's another thing to keep in mind is that the that set photographer seemed to know a lot about what was going on like he he knew Casper. They knew that Casper was partying with the director and stuff. I mean, just for a set photographer, that seems kind of fishy to know the ins and outs of that movie so well. I don't know. Maybe it's not, but it, it just seemed fishy to me how he was so well informed. 
Another thing to keep in mind is that we were actually introduced to the Yellow King in episode three of season one, too, just briefly. Mm. Very similar scene to like what we just saw there, where it was just like kind of a brief conversation. Um, that was way more ominous, though, because when he says he's like, my family's been here for a long time. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's <laughs> that was, true. That was... Yeah. How do we not... Yeah, anyway. Maybe you should, should have said yeah. a little more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that... <laughs> right. <laughs> Looking back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could be on to something. Although, I just actually want to address another issue entirely. So, yeah, my question is, why is the killer doing what he's doing? And I think we're meant to assume that... It has something to do with the money, but let's review the evidence a little bit. Let's get into it. <laughs> let's get into it. Yeah, All right, what do we know about the killer? We know that killing for him is ceremonial. Yep. You see that he wears a bird mask every time he's going to shoot somebody. Let's call him Birdman. Birdman. Continue. And somebody might say that, okay, well, he doesn't kill Belcora when he has that bird mask on, but he's still at the scene of the crime, so it's connected to a killing. So that's my evidence counter to that idea. And then also, um, looking further into that, why would the killer, if he doesn't want to get caught, like if he's not doing this for some sort of um, psychic, or uh, if he's not like a psychopath and he's killing for pleasure, why wouldn't he just do away with all the evidence immediately? Why mm-hmm. does he let Belcoro find the crime scene? Because obviously like he knows the crime scene is there, he's sitting outside waiting yeah. for it, and then why doesn't he torch the car earlier than when Belcoro and yeah, do we, are, we, do, are we sure that's the killer that torches the car, do you think? Right. Um, I actually had some thoughts on this and I don't think it would be anyone but the killer and I think it's, it's yeah cause it just the, the killer wasn't wearing like a bird mask this time around it was more of kind of like a clown facade right and I think that's because he wasn't there to kill anybody I think the okay. bird mask is entirely specific to when he that is actually that just seems like a very clumsy scene to me then like the killer just seemed to be kind of careless there then right for, for but like if you think about um, somebody who's killing out of compulsion somebody who's a psychopath a lot of the times they like classic symptom of that is wanting to be noticed so wanting to be recognized for your work and that could be what's happening with Valcoro this could be some kind of sick game he's playing mm-hmm. but like the really interesting part about this if that's the case that the killer is a psychopath he's not motivated by money then this could just be like a giant coincidence that he killed Casper like we know that Casper yeah. is into a lot of other stuff besides the business with Semyon like he obviously reads leads a very sketchy life yeah with all of his sexual deviance. Yeah, and that's one thing I'm curious with. There's, there's all these, you know, all those sexual exploits in Casper's past. Right. Do you think that's going to have any sort of meaning connected to the killings? Or do you think that's just sort of some sort of front to kind of sex up the show a little bit? Right. Well, this is what I think. I think that that's why, like, something that in that um, area of Casper's life is why he got killed. And I don't think it necessarily has to do any with, um, have anything to do with the money. Which is like a very interesting twist for the show because the motivations of half the characters are entirely different from, or all the characters are entirely different from the killer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's I just I'm really interested to see where that goes. Yeah, we're, getting, we're starting to get a lot of interesting clues to the killer. That that storyline starting to heat up a little more. I'm, I'm I think I'm more invested into like the whole murder mystery this season than I am last, to be honest. Really? A little more, yeah, it's it's just a little more intriguing to me. A little it's a little more sophisticated, I think, and I'd rather have. Uh, like subtle clues rather than you know all the cult and symbolism I get more into this stuff than I did yeah it's true like I truly have no idea who the killer is or like what their motivations are there's a a lot of different angles you can go at it you know there's another suspect would be you know kind of Semyon's enemy there that Russian guy I think his name's Osip the the, the half great white the half anaconda (laughs) as as one henchman described him (laughs) such a bad line Jesus (laughs) Christ Um, but you also have um 
you, uh, we have Bezaridis who investigates the, the safe deposit box of Casper, mm. and she finds those blue diamonds. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. That, that, I, thought, I found that interesting. You would, have to, you would have to think that that has some sort of significance, otherwise that would just be pointless to include. I don't right. know. We'll True. see how that comes into play. True shit. All right. Let's move on to, you know, the fun part here. Huh? Yeah. Should we do the uh, K segment? Let's get on with the K segment. You know, I'll lead us off here. Okay. Um, we're going to have to go, I, I prefaced this earlier in the show, we're going to have to go with an interaction between Bezaridi's ex-slam piece and her detective partner. <laughs> so, you know, Bezaridi's slam comes into the office crying for another date because, you know, he wanted, he wants more of that sexual action. You know what's ridiculous about that guy? What? He doesn't even know the deal. <laughs> he has no idea. He has no idea. But she lays the hammer on him because he doesn't know the deal. And this, this poor dude's walking out and he's got his heart twisted in two and Bezaridi's partner who's just sitting kind of slyly decides he's going to go for the jugular and just chirp this guy and he says mama's boy <laughs> Ken if that's the best we got then we have issues over there mama's boy you are two grown ass men okay maybe just take it easy and stay put in the cubicle alright you see I don't even know what his beef is with the, yeah with that was the weirdest shit because they've had no reaction before I think he just wants a piece of Bezaridi's ass it might be right. My favorite part about that, though, is that the other guy gets, like, super pissed. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah, like, yeah. oh, you call me a mama's boy. Mama's, yeah. mama's boy? Let's throw down. Yeah, that would get me really amped up. Can't believe you just said that. Stop. <laughs> mama's boy is where I've tried a lot. <laughs> yeah, for real. Man, I love Is that the best we got for tricks nowadays? It's bad news. All right. That was a good one, Brady. Don't know if I can top that. Go for it. My cake segment actually isn't a specific quote. It's more of, um, more of just, like, how things are. Sure. Um, so, my case segment arises from when they go to the mayor's house and meet the mayor's wife and just generally get an idea of what the mayor's life looks like outside of office. Living in Bel-Air. I like how they go, yeah. you have a party here last night? No. <laughs> yeah, and then she's like, I don't know. Anyway, that's the mayor of a city. Okay. Like, maybe it's time for fucking impeachment. How shitty of a politician could you be? That is ridiculous. I realize there's only 90 people in Vinci, but god damn, that guy is terrible at his job. And he has a whole scene afterwards where he's talking about Bezaridis, and he, I shouldn't even say what he calls her, because yeah, I feel like, probably, it's, yeah, I'm not even going to go there. You know what he calls her. The actual fuck, dude. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No tact at all. And also, he's hammered during the entire, literally, his entire time, time never, in office. He's never been sober. He's anyway, like, yeah, I'm pretty pissed he's, uh, he's still around, so that's... Yeah, dude, I think I, you, you raised your voice a little bit there. I, I just got to tell you one thing. Around. Dude, chill. And that's going <laughs> to lead us right next into, uh, right next into our new segment. <coughs> trying to, we're, we're switching up. We're going we're gonna to go without the melodrama segments, and we're going to do a new one in honor of our boy Woodrow, who's starting, starting to come on to. Um, as, you, as you recall, Woodrow, um, after being confronted about some of those... Um, some of that sexual history with his ex-lover in uh, the Black Mountain days, he tells his ex-lover to, dude, chill. <laughs> I'm walking around just thinking, dude, chill. That could, that could literally work in so many instances. It's true. So we're just going to fire some at you now. And we'll see, we'll see how uh, our boy Paul Woodrow responds to him. Dude, Paul, I heard your mom's a freaking cougar. <laughs> dude, chill. Paul, I just read an article on Esquire that said smart cars are the new motorcycle. Thoughts? Dude. Chill. Yo, Paul, you want to drag off the seasick? Dude. Chill. Polly, bad news. Buckle's reporting a shortage of distressed jeans and worn in tees. We're gonna have to find an alternative. 
Dude. Chill. All right, on to the question segment. Walker, I'm going to find one at you first. Kill, marry, fuck, oh. AFM here. Okay, that's huge. Semyon Belcoro Woodrow. Semyon Belcoro Woodrow. <laughs> All right. Unscripted um, here, folks. Give it to him straight. Okay, well, obviously, marry Belcoro because I like a challenge. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. my honest choice, too. Uh, and... He's loyal. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, you gotta give him that. He's yeah. pretty, like, yeah. for all of his faults, he's loyal. Questionable father, though. I don't know. Absolutely, but, like, we're not gonna have you kids. You can change him. Yeah, I could change him. You can change him. Um, and then, I think, like, it's pretty obvious from here. Obviously, you fuck Paul, because he's cute. He's so odd. Yeah, and that. As he shows, <laughs> made it very clear. That Maybe you just don't clear. like Friday Night Lights. Maybe, like, that, that might be still there. I don't Maybe know. it's my prejudice against Friday Night Lights. And then so. kill Frank, because, like, Damn, you dude. sure you want to kill Frank though, man? That could be serious repercussions. Yeah, dude. If I'm gonna catch a body, it's gonna be fucking Frank's. Alright, like oh wait though. You're right. Mobsters do after you. Whatever, man. Well, I got No, I have Ray. I have Ray. I have Ray. Yeah, like except that. for doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah. Good. Glad you got that sorted out. Alright, my question for you is uh actually this might be a little bit of a de- debate between the two of us. So Brady and I were talking earlier this week and I was complaining a little bit about um Vince Vaughn's final scene, Frank Semyon, when how they end the episode, when he's talking to his wife, or actually not talking to his wife. So my question for you is, uh, what did you like about that scene? Yeah, I don't. That, it's uh, that's a good question. I I can't even really explain it all that well. Um, I just I liked how he came home, and I I just I've I've some I've some sympathy for Frank's characters because he's going through a lot, and he's got a lot of stuff going on right now, and he's mm. back against the wall. And um, I don't know, it's just kind of like an extreme, extremely masculine scene. That's kind of what pees a lot of his wheelhouses in. But he's just like. Maybe tomorrow. Not tonight, babe. Can we just tackle it tomorrow, all right? <laughs> Give me my... Can, can the man get some distance? Okay. I kind of, like, see where you're coming from here, but that was so overdrawn. Like, yeah, he just stands there and looks around for, for like... He said sounds for a little bit. I was like, okay. But I like yeah. the maybe tomorrow thing. He's dropping the teeth on the floor. Yeah, I... I just didn't vibe with that scene at all, man. I, like, kind of... It could have been really cool, too. That's the part that upset me the most, is, like... Pizzolato's wheelhouse is, like, that ultra-masculine, like, it makes you Uh feel alive, for lack of a better description. Definitely, but, but like, you know, she doesn't... She The wife doesn't really know what Frank's going through out there, and he he can't even... It's not even in his place to kind of tell her what he's doing, because she wouldn't even want to know. It's just... can't do it now. Maybe tomorrow. I guess. I just think that, like... They could have done that differently. Anywho, yeah, we don't we don't have to agree on everything though. No man, yeah, so it compromise yeah. makes any relationship yeah. work. <laughs> some life advice for all you friends out there. <laughs> all right, let's get into some final thoughts here before we wrap things up. Um, did you have anything that you wanted to express here? Uh, I honestly like I feel like I've covered pretty much everything I had on the episode. The one thing that I need to address, and I'm really disappointed about it, is Frank's wife. Oof. No development there yeah, at all. Yeah, their relationship. Yeah, hopes for their yeah relationship. I really. I thought she was going to be kind of like a important factor behind his decision making. Mm-hmm. Don't see it at all, and that's disappointing to me. But that's okay. Yeah, and she had she had the great line with the the great one line when she's like, "Yeah, you can suck your own dick." Oh yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. But I just I don't, I'm not digging her performance as an actress yet. I don't know. Just kind of a flat character, I think. Yeah, yeah. I Maybe agree. still more to come. Though. We don't know. Um, one thing that I want to point out was in the preview for next week, we see the detectives, I think it's Buzzerides and Valcora, visiting that um, kind of graveyard of some sorts with all the sticks protruding out of the ground. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's important to note that they, they, um, they mentioned in the preview that Casper had visited a lot of these um, 
type sites. And that's actually the first episode, if you recall, that actually the opening scene is of the sticks protruding out of the Oh, ground. yeah, you're right, you're right. So there's got to be some sort of significance there, and I'm excited to see... To hear more development on that whole storyline. Yeah, you were saying last. Uh, well, I mean, everybody knows last last season episode four was like a really yeah. That's kind of the, yeah. I think episode four here we should get ready for some big action. I think it's going to be a hell of an episode. Um, yeah. You seem to recall last season episode four is kind of where um, McConaughey uh, Russell goes undercover with uh, Ginger and they end up in that big long shootout and it's a six minute long scene with no cuts. Of them just that was good. there, yeah. That that was that a phenomenal was scene. I think they kind of they kind of previewed some action with uh, Belcoro and Woodrow and uh, some gunslinging action. So I'll, cool. I'm pumped. I think episode four is going to be huge here. I'm all about the action. I agree. Um, awesome. Is that it? That's all I got. All right, we got to do some quick shout outs to. Uh, I told our friends Sierra Swenson and Claire Pykel that I give them an EP because they help so much in producing the show. Love you, ladies. Yeah, we're very thankful. Shout out to y'all. Shouts to y'all. Shouts, shouts to our shaky, shaky warriors out there. <laughs> Not that shaky, though. They've actually been pretty strong for us. But anyway, <laughs> um, if anybody's actually listening to this, cool, thanks. It's really nice of you, actually. <laughs> we appreciate that. <laughs> but otherwise, uh, I'm Martin Walker. And I'm Brady Beckett. This has been true enough. We'll see you next week.